Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute provides educators access to nonfiction 9-11 resources for K-12, first-person curriculum with video, Discovering Heroes book series for kids, and a speaker's bureau with access to 9-11 first responders, survivors, and loved ones. A high-tech 83-foot tractor trailer that transforms into an interactive museum with artifacts and Russell F. Siller Memorial Scholarships for exemplary high school students of program recipients preparing for college. Never forget, donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Let me tell you guys something. Until very recently, I did not know how much I needed a graphic novel about the ins and outs of a Silicon Valley startup company that manufactures sex dolls. But here I am, and quite happily if I do say so myself. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with someone who is literally living my dream. Sean Hainsworth is the founder of SHP Comics, as well as the writer of one of my latest obsessions when it comes to comics, Aerotech. SHP Comics has like already been setting standards as far as like collectible comics go, and they've only been in business since 2021. Isn't that crazy? If I've told you guys once, I've told you a million times. Give indie comic book companies a chance, okay? Give them a try. Chances are you'll find one of your like new favorite reads out of it. Think about it. The Boys, uh, Umbrella Academy, none of this stuff is Marvel or DC. You got to branch out to find stuff that you love. But you don't have to take my word for it because I have the man himself here with me today that'll co-sign everything I just told you. Why don't we get into it? This is your weekly bonus episode of Reality in Comics 2. Let's do it. That's right. You're listening to Reality in Comics 2, the podcast that discusses all things scripted and unscripted TV and film. I'm Kendrick, but most of you know me as your mama's favorite black geek. You want some hot takes about the Real Housewives or Love Island, or maybe you just want some extra insight on the Scarlet Witch or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, you're in the right place. Grab a cocktail, sit back, and prepare to cuss and fuss right along with me. Sean Hainsworth. Sean, how are you? I am good, man. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm ha- I'm I'm so happy that like I found the comic and everything. I'm 
I'm like, I, I've read it like three times now. I'm I'm so into it. I'm along for the ride. I'm ready. I love a good indie, like a good, uh, we're all so used to like kind of people associating like comics with Marvel and DC and stuff like that, that a lot of people don't give other stuff a chance. So I love it whenever I'm able to get my hands on something that's not so like, it's almost like grounded in like everyday people, which we all kind of can relate to probably a lot more. I really Loving appreciate it. you hear, hearing that because, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the big two are great. The other indie publishers, you know, Image and Dark Horse are also mm-hmm. great. But, you know, there's a lot of great creators out there and uh, sometimes they're hard to find. So thank you for bringing the message out and and, uh, and picking up uh, this crazy sex robot comic book. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I can't wait to tell them all about it because with my audience, I know they'll love it. <laughs> so uh, let's kind of kick off. First of all, whenever I have a podcast, like someone actually like, comes on, I have to do kind of a wellness check because it's been a crazy couple of years and like not everyone has the courage to like start a whole business during the pandemic, but you've done so. And you're pretty much like flourishing right now. Like you guys are doing great after this like successful Kickstarter campaign that you started. How have you been able, like what one have you been doing, but like, how have you been able to like, you know, start this writing company and has it been a good outlet for you in the pandemic or like, has it been the opposite effect of like kind of becoming something that's been another thing on your plate? Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. And, you know, pandemic schmandemic, it was a good time for me. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Um, So I've been doing, um, you know, a lot of writing. I've been wanting to write for a long time and Mm -hmm. collecting stories and writing screenplays and starting novels and just had a lot of ideas uh, floating around. And, um, you know, I, cause I, I kind of, uh, well, I, I, uh, you know, I got my degree in film and I ended up making, um, like you mentioned, you know, a bunch of documentary films afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love film. I'm a complete film geek. And so I always thought, you know, I was probably heading toward the film world, but, um, but I, I made a, a major like left turn at Albuquerque last year, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. I just, um, uh, so it, it happened at the Austin film festival. I was at the Austin film festival with, um, a screenplay of mine called Woodstake, um, which is about a vampire that descends on the Woodstock music festival in 1969, mm-hmm. sort of, uh, I'm calling it a comedy of horrors, uh, sort of Shaun, <laughs> of, the, Shaun of the dead meets Woodstock, nice. um, you know, and, uh, but, you know, and I was there and, and, um, you know, I live in, you know, Massachusetts, I do not live in LA. And, uh, and I was just looking around and, and, and part of the, the thing is, as a screenwriter, you really don't have much control over your work, right? If you are lucky enough to sell a screenplay, you just say goodbye to it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that. Um, you don't have any control over how it gets made necessarily, who makes it, and you don't own the intellectual property. You just sort of give it all away. Um, and at a certain point, I just said, that, that's no good. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, and I've always enjoyed comics as well. Um, you know, I, I kind of had like split brain between film and comics. Um, and I started, you know, I've, the other thing is I've always been really impressed by the, the storytelling in comic books, like the visual sophistication of the storytelling is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have a real appreciation for the art and the way um, comic book art developed over the years. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to grab an artist and do this. Um, and I do, you know, I work in the, I work in computer science. I've done work in artificial intelligence, which is what led to some of the ideas behind, you know, Aerotech. 
um, you know, like just thinking, and we'll get into this more, but what would it be like if you actually tried to make a sex robot and debug it <laughs> and, you know, all of that, how would this actually work? But I, you know, I put some money aside over the years from the computer programming and I just decided to take the big leap. And, uh, I put three comic books into production. Um, so nice. I've got, um, the killing machine, which is, you know, kind of a thoughtful sci-fi, uh, I don't want to say cerebral because it's got a lot of a lot of action in it as well, but mm -hmm. um, it's definitely trying to be thought provoking. Um, I got Woodstake, my comedy of horrors, and then I've got um, Aerotech. And um, yeah, we were we were you know fortunate enough to do really well on Kickstarter. Um, you know, uh, between the two, we've done over eleven thousand um, dollars. I'm going to have a third one this year. Um, I'm kind of learning the ins and outs of Kickstarter. And mm -hmm. I just have to tip my hat to all of you fans out there who go to Kickstarter and contribute to these projects. I mean, that is the best way to support indie comics. Um, in a lot of ways, there's so many indie comic, uh, you know, creators out on Kickstarter and, uh, that's, you know, kind of becoming the lifeblood in a lot of ways, um, because it's hard, um, you know, setting up, uh, distribution deals with comic book shops as a, as a tiny company is hard. Digital comics is hard and the margins mm -hmm. are low. So, you know, Kickstarter is where we get a lot of love. And, um, you know, that's been that's been great for us. Nice. I, I love that because I feel like, you know, a lot of people are about the talking, but they're not really about the action. So one, I love that people are actually like actively contributing to this because they know it's such a like a great cause. But I also love that like you were like, you know what? I've been thinking about this for way too long. Let me actually take the first step and do it. And you actually like, finding success with it. I love that. It makes people like me want to like actually jump out there on the ledge with my dreams. So I love that. Let me yeah, actually- At a certain point, you got to do it, right? I always thought I could exactly. write, now I'm going to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I can, I'll be a living testament. You can definitely write. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me, uh, let's go back a couple of years. Why don't you uh, kind of tell me about your love of comic books like were you a you know as a kid were you a superman dc kind of guy were you a captain marvel or a captain america marvel kind of guy or were you like me and you related to the villains probably a little more than you should have or like what was the, what was your story with comic books i have an unusual um relationship with comic books in that i did not really read um either marvel or dc as a kid i was not hmm. a superhero kid um i was more of a like a mad magazine kid um, you know, and uh, okay. I came at it from, from kind of that perspective. And I got really interested <clears throat> in the like eighties about some of the underground comics that had been going on in the sixties and seventies, you know, our mm -hmm. crumb was kind of a revelation and that was really tied into that mad magazine world. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Art Spiegelman's mouse, you know, kind of just blew my brains. I, I just thought, wow, that is, I mean, it's just such a powerful story and the way he told it. Um, and that to me just kind of opened up what a comic book could be because I did not have, I didn't have the older brother or someone handing me the DC and the Marvel, mm -hmm. um, you know, so um, yeah, I eventually came into them, but I would say the first comic book that I absolutely loved was Watchmen, um, you know, which uh, just uh, from the first Amazing. drawing, the smiley face with the red blotch and mm -hmm. the long pan up. Talk about sophistication of storytelling. Um, you know, that one just really, really took me. And um, I've always kind of been, I, I probably, I was born in the six, like 66 and grew up, you know, kind of had those early years in the 70s. So it was definitely kind of that, um, 
countercultural, you know, vibe going on. So, you know, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, um, mm -hmm. you know, that was that was the bread and butter for me. Um, uh, I, I went back and, and, and read a lot of other stuff later, but um, that's what really grabbed my attention. Um, and then in the 90s, I, you know, I was into image and, and dark horse and um you know my friends and i were obsessed with this cartoon uh, by with this comic by a guy named matt wagner called mage um which uh was originally published i think under something other than image i think it was comico or something like that and then it went to image um uh so yeah i was kind of always on the fringes like so i was i'm not your super fan i i'm not the deep marvel dc guy um I kind of, you know, was feeding out of the other side of the comic book world. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but just loving it. I love the freedom, like what people did in the underground comic movement, you know, especially with the comic code authority and all that nonsense. Yeah. I mean, they just thumbed their noses at it. They, they weren't going to sell in comic book shops. They sold in head shops. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. They got as raunchy and as countercultural as they wanted. Um, and, you know, that, that was for me. I, I really liked that, you know, that, that vibe. Nice. I, I mean, you're you're a man like after my listeners' hearts because we one like most of them because we uh, I talk unscripted and scripted TV on the podcast and you know comics and like it's a pretty eclectic podcast with all the ranges that we talk about and Watchmen is one of the things that comes up. I can't tell you how many times like a lot of people got into it because of the TV show, but then I told them make sure you go back watch the movie, read the comics. Like it is all all like will get you like in the fandom ridiculous. So, I mean, I I love the fact that that was like your first big like thing that you gravitated towards as far as like not underground, but more of a like, you know, mainstream, like highly praised kind of comic run. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say the best, I think one of my favorite characters in there is Rorschach. And of course, <laughs> uh, I just loved seeing that in the movie, like just watching the shape shifting on his mask in mm -hmm. real time was just so cool um but yeah i i can't say anything uh except that, how much i love watchmen absolutely uh so like when you when it comes to like uh whether it was back then or nowadays when it comes to graphic novels what kind of stories usually attract you to them like were you like always kind of drawn towards stories where like well i know you're not necessarily like enhanced people superpower people but, like were you always drawn to ones that were like more so regular everyday people with these big stories that they needed to tell, but like wouldn't be able to otherwise. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I, I think, um, you know, so the other person I really liked in the nineties was um, Dave, Daniel Klaus, um, you know, an eight ball. Um, mm -hmm. And that definitely falls into that range of comics that, um, you know, are, are personal or, um, you know, just about everyday people. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that, could probably have never been made into anything other than a comic book in the nineties. It's kind of miraculous that it was made into such a great movie by Terry Swigoff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so, yeah, definitely. I, I liked, I, and, and I think Mouse falls in that too, although Mouse is obviously about a much bigger topic, but you know, so much of Mouse too is about his relationship with his father and how, how you get along with this man who is, whose soul has just been crushed in the Holocaust. And it's just so impossible mm -hmm. to get along with. And yet, and yet you have to get along with them. So yeah, there's definitely the, the personal element there. But I also liked stuff that was subversive. Um, you know, I liked Hellboy a lot um, and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, it was the more of the kind of subversive um, personal comics that attracted me. Um, and, and I'm not saying I don't really enjoy uh, Marvel and DC and, you know, particularly Spider-Man. And uh, I have great appreciation for, 
um, particularly the artists of, uh, of the yeah. early period, um, you know, how Foster's Prince Valiant and, you know, how that, how the art developed over the years is truly incredible. These guys mm-hmm. were masters. Um, and so I have a great appreciation for that, but it wasn't as much in my kind of wheelhouse during, during those years. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so speaking of those two, Marvel and kind of DC, we noted like they've managed to like kind of secure these huge like filmographies associated with the comics. Like they all have their own like extended universes. Where do you kind of see yourself like in your comp? Like, you know, if as much as you can like kind of uh, dream big, or I don't know what your actual like goals are with it, but like, where do you see yourself maybe in like 10 years when you think about, uh, shp comics like do you see yourself like are you interested in like doing like live action or maybe like animated stories or you know what what kind of comes to mind when you think about that yeah i mean i am just so happy producing my stories as comics right now Mm -hmm. um I, i just have i mean you know the good thing is when you produce them and publish them i own the intellectual property so if someone wants to you know make an animated series or whatever that's fine Mm -hmm. um you know and maybe that will be some part of my distant future but for right now it's like um like you said I'm kind of living the dream like I'm not getting to realize stories you know um unlike I mean Marvel what Marvel has done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is is you know incredible but Mm -hmm. they had 50 years of material uh you know right you know um to and and the way that they've uh pulled that material together and and I think just the way the way that they found to create the cinematic universe. And I was talking to someone about this the other day. Like it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, it took them a while to figure out mm-hmm. um, the best way to do this. You know, I, I think about the um, the Ang Lee Hulk a lot. You know, from yes, uh, you know, whatever that was, <laughs> two thousand three. Because um, I love Ang Lee as a director, and you know, he before the Hulk, I would say Ang Lee can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can't, it didn't work out so well, but the idea <laughs> was they really wanted to bring in a director who knew character, right. Mm-hmm. Who could really direct character. And I think even though that film didn't work, I think the development of uh, character has really benefited Marvel long-term. And I think like, they just got it right from Iron Man on. And then mm-hmm. they had, they just had it in place. They, they really kind of pulled everything together and then they had this universe of characters that they could bring together and um you know i i i could never be anything remotely like that and and i i tend to do smaller stories right so i i um uh i'm not interested in kind of a huge complex universe i i kind of want to do um you know uh for example the killing machine and woodstake will be um two two sets of, uh, you know, five to seven issues and done, like complete story. Mm-hmm. All of mine are sort of complete story, uh, with the exception maybe of Aerotech. Um, Aerotech has a lot of potential to just kind of spin off and keep going. Yeah. Um, and Jeff and I, Jeffrey uh, Kroshek, who's the artist, we've been talking about it. And it's like, we feel like as long as we can keep it fresh and don't feel like it's getting repetitive or that we're falling into a rut, you know, we want to keep going with it. Um, but it, it is tricky to... Um, to keep it fresh and we'll talk about that more when we get when we get into it like the first issue we had a you know we kind of came out of nowhere so yeah. <laughs> um, you know particularly in those first five pages but bam right you're in it mm-hmm. um but um it's going to take a lot of work to keep it fresh and interesting and uh, but you know we're up to the challenge but we feel like when we're not when we're not when we feel like we're not doing it anymore we'll we'll, we'll wind that one down okay i almost feel like you know after reading you know getting the benefit of read uh aerotech 
I almost feel like you guys would also be great in like, you know, most people are thinking like big screen and film. So I I think you guys would be great like in the the audio world. Like I could imagine I can hear like every single word of this like coming to life through like some great actors, like just in an audio book or something like that, really kind of telling the story. Because even though it's like great as it is, like seeing this, it like it's a great imagination story too for like whoever like hasn't like can't physically see it. I feel like it'd do great like in an audio book or an audible or something like just something to think of. I don't, I don't need I, a, I think, a I actually think that's a great know. idea. <laughs> and and I, I, th- I think what you're getting at there is, is really interesting. Um, you know, w- when we were drawing this, it, we didn't want it to be too explicit or like, you know, por- soft core porn right? right. It, you do have to leave a lot to the imagination, right? There's a really fine line there. And I actually mm-hmm. think an audiobook could be great because I think a lot of the humor would come out of it. Um, you know, um, but yeah, I, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, it's just a question of finding the great actors and, <laughs> and yeah. the sound effects <laughs> and the producers and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I like that idea. There you go. <laughs> uh, professionally speaking, kind of tell us what you were doing before you kind of jumped in and started living my dreams. Like not everybody has an IMDb page. So you have something <laughs> that you can, you know, tout about that most can't. So like kind of tell them like what you were doing that kind of led you, you know, before you jumped into it. Yeah. So um, going way back briefly, you know, my friends and I used to make all these Super 8 films in my friend's mm-hmm. basement at a camera and you know, we watched Star Wars, we made a goofy space movie and we watched Halloween and we made a goofy horror movie with a bunch of ketchup and, you know, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So when I got into college, I wanted to do film and um, and they only had one program, which was documentary. Um, but it was, you know, what's known as Cinema Verite documentary or, you know, and I actually noticed you do a lot of stuff with Unscripted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the ideas behind Cinema Verite were, you know, the ideas of of, um, you know, kind of, you know, fly on the wall and capturing life, you know, as it's happening. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, there's all kinds of issues about, you know, in terms of reality, who's watching and what is their perspective and how is it edited and all that kind of stuff. But, Mm -hmm. um, but I really, really enjoyed um, that kind of filmmaking. And also just, it was a great way to experience the world. Like, I'm a little shy. So, you know, sitting behind a camera and watching, um, you know, was, was just kind of an interesting way to do it um for me so yeah i i um i made a bunch of like five feature length documentaries and um i spent a lot of my time you know i mean back then applying to film festivals was mailing vhs cassettes out and um mm-hmm. you know it's so much easier these days but um yeah i had a bunch of screenings um at different film festivals and uh you know had stuff on public television and and all that kind of stuff um you know, so I, I, I enjoyed that. And I also feel like I learned a lot about storytelling in a way, because what you're doing is you're taking all of this raw material and then you've got to shape a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that's another aspect of, you know, this whole thing is how much shape you give to it because you, you don't, you need it to be true. You don't want to be, you know, to your, to your subjects and to your material, but you also mm-hmm. got to give it shape. And so I learned a lot about structure and how to tell a story with a very light touch doing those, um, so, uh, yeah. And then, um, my son was born in 2006 and that kind of ended all of that. I, you know, I needed to spend, I couldn't be traveling around, um, you know, shooting these films and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So all, mm-hmm. all of that, I kind of went into a big lull period, but that's when the late night writing started, um, you know, cause I just always need to get something out somewhere. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Those late nights, that's where most creativity starts. So Absolutely. I understand for me. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of curious because I, you know, you kind of just explained how uh, the creative process worked when you were uh, doing documentaries and you're, I feel like you have to be a creative person to like want to write comics and to start a comic book company. So uh, I've heard many times where like directors, producers, screenwriters, et cetera, they've discussed like other projects since you kind of referenced, uh, you know, you're, I'm sorry, since you're like kind of a reformed screenwriter and a documentary maker, are there any like shows or movies or documentaries or anything that you just like look at and you're like, man, I wish I was the guy behind that. Like, it just seems so like, when you look at it, you're like, man, that's so me. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I do that? Oh man, I, I, I missed it. I missed it. I feel like every creative has that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I have so many loves in in film um you know and uh yeah i mean you know so for example i i think um high noon is a great example for me um you know mm -hmm. i actually just um listened to an audiobook i listened to audiobooks in the car about uh, um about the writer and and about the process of making that film but that is just such a brilliant screenplay so tight so focused you know mm -hmm. just 90 minutes kind of real time um, you know, and, uh, and so relevant in the day. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with High Noon, but, um, you know, the writer was pulled in by the Hollywood, you know, on an American activities, you know, committee. And so, you know, this, you know, he always says it wasn't really about that, but you've got this film where everybody's capitulating to the bad guy. Everyone's afraid to stand up because of all the things they might lose in their personal life. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but, but it's such a relevant film, such a, you know, just such a strong screenplay. Um, but yeah, I have so many loves in movies. I mean, I, I, I'm a Buster Keaton fanatic. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I love, I love Buster Keaton and, um, I love, um, you know, a lot of Japanese, um, films, um, samurai and non-samurai films. Um, that period, post-war period in Japan to like the late sixties was just an unbelievable period for, for creativity and cinema. Um, so yeah, like just across the board. I mean, I, there's so many, I, I don't even know where to begin. You know, I love John <laughs> Carpenter's The Thing. I mean, I, I, it's mm. not even necessarily like a, like a genre, but so many movies that, yeah, I wish I had written or I aspire or, you know, I aspire to do something that someday somebody thinks that's as good as I think, you know, The Thing is or High Noon right. or whatever it happens to be you know um so yeah i'm inspired by everything all the time um and and really like i've spent a lot of my time watching movies uh, all kinds of movies so nice i love that well since we, we've talked about movies i've, I've kind of you've humored me now so i appreciate that why don't we jump into like what actually kind of brought you here which is aerotech yeah I hope I hope you take this as a compliment because I mean it to be so. The comic is almost as if it's like it since you know since we talk about TV and film here, it's almost like The Office meets Westworld in kind of a crazy way. I don't know how you get those two in the same Venn diagram, but it it, it kind of gives me both of those vibes and the fact that like it's so funny, it's so kind of down to earth. Like we, you know, I couldn't imagine life at a sex toy company going through literally exact same things that I go through in my current job now, but also like being so futuristic and, you know, technology driven. I love it. Give the listeners kind of uh, a summary of the story without giving, you know, too much of the ending away yeah well you hit the nail on the head i mean the original teaser for this was it's like the office with sex robots right so it's 
Perfect. <laughs> we are definitely going for that. And and I'm a te- I'm a technology guy, like you are, like a lot of people are. So mm-hmm. I have sat through a lot of um, tech meetings. You know, they're you know, just headbangers, right? You know, just, I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, the, just the way uh, things can can uh, can uh, you know happen in in these meetings. Not you know, and and this book particularly was inspired by one company I worked at, which just had the kind of most inefficient agile process I have ever seen. And, and they were so proud of their agile process and they couldn't have been further from <laughs> agile, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so it's about, um, it's about a, a, a Silicon Valley startup. And uh, we decided we were going to set this sort of five minutes in the future. So there's technologies that we have in the comic book that we don't have today, but we didn't want to make it really futuristic. You know, the, a mm-hmm. lot of the characters in the clothes, you know, in the design, actually the design, we were kind of pulling out that madman-esque, you know, 1950s corporate style. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it tends to be a little timeless in that regard, although it definitely is in the future, but it's about a, um, it really tells the story of um, a young executive who um, is at this, um, you know, this uh, sex robot startup um, that is run by um you know, a boss who's always on a cell phone and doesn't really care, you know, a manager who'd rather be on the golf course, you know, technologists that duck responsibility for anything, you know, <laughs> um, you know, people who are more interested in, who are just obsessed with process, but not if things actually work, you know, mm-hmm. and then the poor guy, Steve, whose double job is to be the tester for the sex robots, but he also has to work in the mailroom because there's not that much testing work to do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody dumps on Steve, partially because they're jealous that he gets to, you know, he's getting paid to, uh, to test the robots, but it does not go well for Steve. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the tests are uh, problematic. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, really it's, it's um, so yeah, it's meant to be this office comedy um, but we really kind of dive in, particularly in the first scene of, uh, I, you know, one of the other things I've compared it to is the beginning of Monsters, Inc., you know, where um, okay. <laughs> the kid in the bed and, the, you know, but there's this whole group of people around watching mm-hmm. and judging and monitoring, you know, so it starts in, you know, kind of a bedroom but it's a, it's a test suite, a QA test suite, mm-hmm. um, you know, and people in the, in the booth are calling down to him and, and having fun at his expense. Um, and then it goes from there. But, uh, you know, I really hope that the character, you know, the story, the main character, Samantha and her kind of journey through this firm, uh, there's a psycho in the warehouse, you know, because <laughs> who, who else works in a warehouse full of, you know, body parts, um, <laughs> right (laughs) yeah actually when I wrote the novel my introduction to him was you know uh you know Eric's background you know made him suitable for two jobs you know psycho killer or you know uh or or someone who ran a warehouse in a sex robot company Uh, (laughs) I loved I feel like you did like perfectly was like not setting it too far in the future because I feel I feel like Samantha like it's such a like a quick like panel but like Samantha going home at the end of the day and just like kind of kicking her feet up to like unwind three seconds before she has to get like back into like these arrogant a-holes at work that are just like the hardest people to work with it's such a relate even though like this is such like a not relatable job that most of us have it's still such a relatable story in a lot of ways so you guys like hit the nail on the head in a lot of aspects Yeah. And I have to give Jeff credit for that scene because, um, you know, when I had originally written that, I had that 
scene, um, you know, she's at the computer checking the inventory on the psycho in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had originally set that in the office. And he's like, no, 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 we've got to get her out of the office. You've got to see her house, you know, and a lot of people have commented on that's just one page with her drinking wine on the couch, her feet <laughs> up, you know, and uh, I just I think that that really helps. And, and one thing we've talked about, the, the first issue is really in the office. And I think next time we're going to, you know, take it outside of the office, but it would try to expand the environment that people are in. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, always trying to push where the story is being told and and all of that. But I'm glad you love that page. I love that page. And that was pure Jeffrey Krasik. He that he did that. Nice. Absolutely fantastic. What kind of made you want to tell like this particular story, though? Like was I, I'm always curious, like when I read something that's just so like not something that I can like physically relate to like i can't relate to like working in a an office where they build sex robots every day (laughs) like what what kind of makes what inspires you for that like what's the inspiration behind you like kind of sitting down with pen and pad or macbook whatever and kind of writing out this kind of story yeah i think this one started so like i said i did work in this very dysfunctional company for like Mm -hmm. two years and uh i think that was percolating and somehow in my brain that got connected with with um you know building a sex robot um uh as the product mm-hmm. and um all of a sudden my brain started firing off all these jokes i'm like oh this is hilarious i've got to write this down <laughs> so i just started writing it down and i wrote you know what is essentially that first scene in the novel um you know pretty quickly but then reality set in i'm like okay haha this is a funny joke but if you're going to do this, this has to have more to it than just this joke. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I, I really spent like, you know, probably six months of late nights, you know, kind of working through it and, and building out the characters and everything. So it was a really easy fit for me when I decided to make this a comic. Um, you know, the, the first issue was really just a question of going through the novel and pulling out the scenes and, and organizing them and kind of rewriting some of the descriptions and everything. Um, but the dialogue is most of the dialogue is intact. And so I really did spend a lot of time trying to make this a novel, but then I got about 150 pages into it. And I'm like, who is going to buy this? Who is going to publish this? Who is going (laughs) to read this? What am I doing with my life? You know? Um, so I, so I kind of shoved it in the, in a shelf, uh, and forgot about it. Um, but now it's out in the world. There you go. The the story of a creative, like putting it on the back burner until you're like, you know what, maybe someone does actually want to view this content or read this or whatever the case is. Uh, I love that there are like several characters that like we can pick from as our favorite, but I also love that Samantha is kind of like center stage amongst everyone here. Do you find there to be any particular challenges when writing like from the female perspective or is a character like based on women or a woman in particular that you actually like know? Yeah, that's a really good question. I um I don't think that way as much, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um uh although it's a really good question because part of the subtext of what's going on is um you know, the company is making sex robots and you've got a company run by a bunch of kind of misogynistic clueless men who, mm-hmm. you know, not only try to um, are very dismissive of Samantha, but also kind of, you can tell that they really don't, she comes in as a manager. She's like the Yale school of management, young manager who comes in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the older managers are are definitely threatened by her. So, you know, there's definitely some sexual politics going on with, you know, um, the idea of, of making a sex robot, you know, and also the sexual politics of the office. Um, But uh, 
yeah, I never really thought about it. I, I mean, in, in that sense, like I didn't sit down and think, can I write this character as a woman or how should I write this character as a woman? I just wrote this character as, um, you know, someone in that situation, um, mm-hmm. working her way through these challenges. Um, and, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I hope that it, I hope that it works and it feels realistic and that she feels grounded. Um, but, um, I, I didn't feel like I can't write this character or I have to double check myself or do it in a different way. I really just kind of followed my instinct on it. And, uh, and, and followed her through, um, you know, uh, what would it be like to, to be, you know, have these, just to have anyone being so dismissive of you and work and just being jealous of you. And, but, mm-hmm. but there's no way you can really fight back. Right. Because any, you know, and that, that's what goes on in these meetings. It's like, they're cutting her off and everything else, but she knows if she explodes, then it all bounces back on her. Right. Yep. Then she becomes the one who's unprofessional. She, you know, so she's got to keep it together. She's got to find a way to thread the needle. And I find that I find that really interesting, um, you know. Uh, so yeah, that that's where I was coming from on that one. And I think it's something that men and women everywhere can relate to as well, because like I've had so many moments where I'm like, okay, calm down, don't lose it, don't lose yeah. it. Like we we all, there at the time, my coworkers are just always like they're the ones and they're just like kind of the ring the circus leader and a, a bottle of clowns like it's kind of ridiculous so i feel like she feels a really grounded for like whether man woman old young whoever it is she's a great antagonist i mean i'm sorry she's a great protagonist to the story <laughs> oh great thank you i appreciate that yeah i do think it's pretty relatable to anyone who's worked in in corporate culture or in an office um, yes you know everyone's dancing around the politics everyone's trying to uh, you know you, there's certain things you can say and certain things you can't say. And a lot of the dysfunction, you just have to let go you mm-hmm. know, because it's not your job to fix it. And if you try to fix it, you're going to get it in more trouble, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I know we kind of touched on it earlier, but I could absolutely like see this show being adapted by like HBO Max. Like this, just this like five issue run being like picked up by HBO Max and then like becoming like a huge, like global success. I kind of want to have a little fun with it. Like who are some of your like favorite actors or actresses that like you could see cast in like some of your favorite roles in this comic? Cause like call me crazy, but like, I think Samantha would be played beautifully by like Charlize Theron. Like I feel like she has the right, like comedic timing. She's someone that love to go and see and someone we can always like relate to in movies and sympathize with both. Like, I feel like she'd be a great Samantha, but who are some of your favorites that like you might cast in like a couple of these key roles? Yeah, that's, uh, I like Charlize Theron in the sense of, um, she's amazing because she can, she can be totally kick-ass, right? Um, Right. You know, but she, she also has got great comic timing. Um, Mm -hmm. I I forget the movie, I forget the movie is called The One She Did in the West. Um, it was kind of a Western comedy, um, but her comic Seth timing, McFarlane, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Her comic timing is right on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually thinking about that for the robot, um, uh, Sandy is the name of the robot. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it has to be someone with kind of perfect comic timing because you have to almost think that the robot is enjoying being a little sadomasochistic, even though it shouldn't <laughs> be because it's a robot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the woman who comes to mind, uh, do you know, I'm sure you know the movie Galaxy Quest. Um, 
the the woman who plays the alien who's got like that kind of frozen plastic smile. She was also in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know her name. Yeah, yes, yes. I know I, brilliant. I don't know her name, but yes. timing. Like mm-hmm. brilliant, you know, just someone who can who can smile and it's kind of a, a, a you know a fake plastic smile, but you almost feel the you know the the hatred underneath it a little bit. Mm-hmm. In, in <laughs> so uh yeah, anyway, in terms of Samantha, I ah, that's a hard one. Um, I haven't really thought about it and I would want to give it some thought because I don't want to come up with something sure. else that doesn't really fit, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, actually our first review, um, of this, um, the guy was like, this is your next great HBO max series. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think that, you know, the style of humor and the, you know, and the sort of R rated quality of it, you know, definitely lends to to that, uh, you know, to that kind of thing. And, and, and Westworld is, you know, um, very similar in some ways and very different in other with the whole, um, you know, Western role-playing aspect of it is a little different, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that would be, that would be marvelous. So if you could just get on the phone and call HBO Max and set it up. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> a little manifestation from my lips to God's ears, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Uh, do you mind if I ask you a couple of uh, listener submitted questions? Not at all. Perfect. Uh, so the first one is Brenda kind of wants to know, what do you think will be like the next like era of comics or graphic novels out there? Do you think it's leaning towards a certain direction or, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. Cause you know, if you look at sort of the, you know, the classic comedies and then, uh, sorry, classic comics and then underground comics, and then, you know, kind of the dark modern comics that led to, um, you know, kind of the explosion of the indies in the nineties. Um, what I would love to say is creator-owned and controlled comics, because mm. the means of production have never been more in your own hands, right? Um, it, even, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, you could do what you wanted, but there was no Kickstarter, right? And there, mm-hmm. was, no, um, there was no digital distribution, and you couldn't set up your own web shop on Shopify, right? Um, you know, um, so... Uh, you know, and actually the other thing I'll say is when I go to comic cons, I am just amazed at what's out there. Like you walk around artist alley and people are doing all kinds of stuff, like anything you can imagine Mm -hmm. someone is doing it. Right. Um, and there's just this explosion of people like me who are like, I'm just going to take the leap and do it. Mm -hmm. Um, now, you know, the trick is that the market is, flooded right so if you're on comiXology or global comics and you pay the monthly fee you have like thousands of comics literally at your fingertips and if you go to your local comic book store you know there, there's you know there, there's not that you know you've got maybe your image rack um your dark horse rack but uh and your dc and your marvel obviously but there's not a lot of place for the smaller ones so um you know it, it'll be interesting to see how much we move toward you know, really small creator owned comics. But um, that's what I would love to see. I would love to see when we look back on this period, we see it as a, an explosion of the little, the little guy, you know, explosion of the independent creator. Um, so, because there's so many of us, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's true. It, I think that answer kind of makes the most sense because it almost feels like we're going to the way with a lot of other things. Like, you know, people, used to really rely on television and watching stuff live to get their advertising. But now whether you're on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, anywhere on your phone, you're going to get an advertisement thrown in your face. So it almost feels like it's kind of, no matter if you're on like a small blog or, you know, on a huge, like 
100 million impression website a day, you're going to get ads thrown in your face. So that that, that answer really kind of makes the most sense to me. So I think I, I agree with you there. <laughs> and yeah, I would love for that case. I was going to say, if you look at independent film, because, you know, that was the era I graduated in like 88. But, um, you know, Spike Lee and, you know, um, Jim Jarmusch and, you know, um, Richard Linklater, all those early independent films and then like the importance of Sundance that had a radical that made a radical shift in the industry over time um and i think that's where we are with comics now i, I think these independent creators are going to radically shift the industry over time with the technology yeah, absolutely let's hope so because i want to be one of them one day <laughs> uh nick wants to know how do you like whether it's actively or inactively, how do you break up the like monotony of all the like Batman, Superman, Captain America comics that are out there? Since most people nowadays, especially really associate the word comic with like a super powered human being now. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, For me, you know, we talked about my interest growing up. It was, I never had that connection, right? So for me, Uh comics were always kind of an alternative storytelling you know uh that had incredible visual sophistication to it um i just when i go to the rack i just pull things off that looks interesting the last thing i pulled off um oh what was it called twig um it's an image comic Hmm. and um it uh it was just a a fantasy a volume one of a fantasy and fascinating i loved it um it was i i I didn't know what to expect i love that when you pick up a comic and you have no idea where it's going Mm -hmm. even by like page 10 i didn't know where it was going and it finally wrapped up around page 28 and it really hadn't gone all that far narratively, but it was charming and I loved it. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, uh, I just don't, um, I don't spend a lot of time doing the deep dive on all the Marvel and D- DC stuff, probably mm-hmm. to my own you know, detriment. We only have so many hours in a day and I would love to know a lot more about you know, Marvel and DC um, and particularly to appreciate the art from that you know, sort of golden age. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can always find stuff, you know, um, to break up the monotony, like go on Kickstarter and just look at what's in comics right now. And, you know, um, uh, you know, so yeah, you'll pay, you know, 10, 12 bucks as opposed to three, but you'll be helping someone fulfill their dream and you'll get something you have not seen before. There you go. I agree with that advice. <laughs> uh, last kind of question I want to ask from uh, that was listener submitted uh rambling beauty on instagram wanted to know your thoughts on it's actually a really kind of uh poignant question because we actually just discussed it in a kind of roundabout way she wants to know your thoughts on retconning and changes from like comics then when they get into the movies they're like a different adaptation of what they were like you know the readers fell in love with and it's kind of funny because you mentioned earlier screenplays like when they leave your hands you're all, you know, it's, it's not your baby anymore. It's your baby, but it's like, you know, someone else is raising it and they get to like put out the final adult or the final product or whatever. So what are your thoughts on like that when you, uh, you know, like say like that twig that you just mentioned, say that like you've fallen in love with this, but then once it gets in the hand of like a, a Netflix or an HBO or a Hulu, they kind of make so many significant changes, not necessarily like making a worse story, but like one very different from the one that you fell in love with. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the name Rambling Beauty. That's a great handle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, this has always been interesting, you know, from book to movie or comic book to movie or original source to movie. I mean, part of it is being a fan. um, 
Well, okay, big question. So let me back up a little bit. Media are very different, right? So what works in a comic book um, is, you know, is not necessarily what's going to work on the big screen. So mm-hmm. you're dealing with a different media. You're going to have to make, you know, a number of changes um, to it. Um, with that said, um, right now with streaming and everything else, um, there's this enormous beast that is just hungry for content. Like they just, they're just desperate for content, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just think about the number of series that come and go on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, mm-hmm. Apple TV. I mean, I, you know, I could keep going on and on. Um, how many series each of them are producing a year? Like it's, it's crazy now. Um, I mean, I don't know how many back when I was a kid, there were three networks, right. And then there was cable and we were like, Oh, there's so much choice. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it just keeps getting exponentially more and more and more. So, um, I think what happens is these large companies, they acquire content and they really just want something that's got a built-in audience. That's got a good concept. And then, but they don't, I, you know, I haven't been in the room, but my sense from looking at the product is they don't really care about being true to the original, right? That, that's not, mm-hmm. you know, high on their priority list. Mm-hmm. They care about making a series that they think is going to appeal to their viewers, right? Um, and a lot of it comes down to the showrunner, right? So the showrunner is the person who, you know, organizes the writing room, you know, sort of, um, you know, basically like the producer, the executive producer of a TV series. And so it really starts to follow their vision. And there are showrunners that, you know, there's many different showrunners as there are people, right? So there are showrunners that, um, you know, that that really do care about the, you know, some of the the sensibilities of the original and trying to honor the, um, you know, honor the spirit of the original. And I think there are others that just view it as, you know, a first draft of source material for them to take and make whatever they want out of what they think their audience will like. So I think as a fan, um, you know, you should, you should always be um, open-minded to what's coming, but you may not like it. And, uh, and, and, and I think what's interesting is ask yourself why, right? I think it's great to be a, a you know, a self-reflective fan in a way like why did the comic book work so well and why doesn't it work for me in this new netflix form is it just that i had characters in my head and these are different or did they make material changes that i don't like and why don't i like them and i think that's how we learn about ourselves as as viewers right like what do we like and what don't we like and why and and, and in a way it'll make us appreciate the comic more because we can identify what it was that was so special about that that was lost right Totally agreed. It's always, ooh, it's always a bit of a gamble, but I always tell people like, well, if they made the change, it might not necessarily have been, you know, some stuff, you know, we fall in love with in, you know, the eighties that might not necessarily be as, you know, audience friendly in 2022 that, you know, we might've thought it was back then. So you never know why the change is made, but sometimes it's for the better. So don't knock it till you try it. Exactly. Yeah. You got to give people realm to be creative, right? So mm-hmm. television people are creative too, and they don't want to be just kind of held, you know, I think they, there's definitely a pushback to fans trying to hold them to the fans' vision of it. You can't do mm-hmm. that to my show or whatever. Right. So I think a lot of time the pushback is the heck with you. I'm going to make what I want, right? They're creative mm-hmm. people as well. Perfect. Uh, how can people purchase the comics, like specifically the ones in this Aerotech series? Because I'm hooked after just one issue. Plus, I need to read Woodstake and I need to read The Killing Machine like immediately. So right now, is it solely through Kickstarter or can they get on the SHP Comics website and kind of purchase yeah. through there or how does it work? Yeah. So for right now on the SHP Comics website, you can get The Killing Machine and Woodstake. Okay. Um, Aerotech, 
when is this podcast gonna gonna launch? Because uh, it'll be this week. Okay, because Aerotech is on for six more days on backer kit. So basically, backer okay. kit. Uh, extends Kickstarter. So mm. you can go into backer kit. You can get the same deals that were on the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter closed three, three weeks ago or so, but before July 25th, you can go into backer kit and get the same deals, the same variant covers, everything. After that, it's going to be a little bit of a lag until I get it on the website. Cause we got to publish it. Like we, you know, we got to take the money right. from Kickstarter and we got to get it off to the printer mm-hmm. and we got to fulfill to our 189 amazing backers on Kickstarter, um, you know, they got to get their shipments. So it probably won't hit the SHP comic store until, um, you know, mid-August or so. But we're launching another Kickstarter probably in mid-September. Right now it's going to be called Aliens, Vampires, and Sex Robots. The stories continue. And it's going to be Killing Machine 2, Woodstake 2, and a special... Um, special Aerotech story that sort of falls out of the main arc, but it's going to be a special story. So um, all of that will go live on kick, on the next Kickstarter. Um, and we get some great, I just got a great variant cover on Woodstake um, from a, an artist named Brian Silverbacks. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of cool stuff coming. I just, uh, unfortunately on the store right now, it's a little limited. Although I will say we're also adding some cool products to the store. We've done like Woodstake mouse pads, and we've taken some mm. of those agile scenes from Aerotech and turned them into, you know, coffee mugs and 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 that kind of stuff. You know, filthy merchandising by the comic <laughs> book. But if you love the, but if you love it, um, you know, get a mouse pad. Who knows? <laughs> I love that. I I appreciate you so much for taking the time to talk to me because I I fell in love with this one issue and I'm I'm ready to see where the story goes. So thank you so much. Uh, tell the people like kind of where they can find you. Do you want to plug any social media or website, anything? Yeah, I'm SHP Comics everywhere. So www.shpcomics.com, facebook.com slash SHP Comics, SHP Comics on Instagram. Um, I've got a link tree that links out to reviews and other things. Um, you know, Reddit, there's SHP Comics on Reddit. So whatever your platform is, uh, it's always SHP Comics, Twitter, LinkedIn, you'll find us. Perfect. Guys, you know where to find us. Check out this interview, tell a friend about it, especially if you've been, I get so many comments from even guys about wanting to get into, uh, you know, different kinds of graphic novels, kinds of comics and things like that. So you've got the perfect opportunity now. It's in its infancy. It's got some great stuff out there that the reviews are amazing of, all, of everything they've put out. So go check them out. I've been Kendrick, that's Sean, and guys, I'll see you. Thank you. Oh, wow. You sat through that entire episode? Well, aren't you special? You deserve a treat. Why don't you head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Podchaser or CastBox and leave me a five-star rating and review for free. Need to contact me? Email me at realitycomics2 at gmail.com. Make sure you follow me on Instagram for hilarious memes and up-to-date information about the podcast. That's at realitycomics2, T-O-O. This is Kendrick, and I'll see ya!
Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.